0: I'd ask if you could stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. And I might ask if somebody would mind grabbing a glass of water, if that's okay. I know Ruth is going to be the first on it. She's always the first on it. Thank you, Ruth. Okay. Okay. Okay, we are in Acts chapter 17. I'll be preaching from verses 10 to 15, but I'm going to read all the way from from verse 1 to, to set the context for the whole passage. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul Thank you. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. This is the word of our Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Holy and triune God, we recognize We believe that your word is truth. In the mystery of your providence, you have caused the holy men of God to be carried along by your Holy Spirit so that every single word in the original manuscripts of the Holy Scriptures were exactly as you intended them to be. This mystery of Divine sovereignty and, and human responsibility, we, we confess, we do not understand, but we believe it because your word says these things are so. Help us, I pray, as your people, to submit ourselves consciously to all of your word. Lord, to believe in the, the truths of the scriptures, especially these truths pertaining to Jesus Christ or his person and his work resting our hope and our confidence on Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. Lead us into your truth through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lead us to Christ in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thomas Jefferson American founding father and third president of the United States, considered himself to be a real Christian. However, if you scratch a little below the surface, you'll find that Jefferson's Christianity was anything but Christianity. He rejected many of the foundational truths of Scripture, including the deity of Christ, original sin, and all miracles. And Jefferson took a Bible and with a, a razor and with scissors, he cut out all of the passages that he agreed with and pasted them into another folio. It was his own red leather hand-bound book, his Bible. And this so-called Jefferson Bible is on display at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington. There's no John John 3.16. There's no John 14, 6. There's no healing the sick. There's no walking on the water. There's no feeding of the 5,000. Nothing whatsoever that speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. There is not any resurrection. It ends with the words of Matthew 27, 60. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The end. Jefferson had simply taken the things that, hit, that fit his worldview and invented his own Bible. In a letter to another founding father, John Adams, Jefferson explained that he had sought to remove all that had been added to the teaching of Jesus by his followers. Jefferson felt, again, that he was a, a true follower of Jesus. And of Jesus' teaching, he sought to recover what he felt that other followers of Jesus, including the four writers of the Gospels, had corrupted. He said, again, in this this letter to Adams, that he was arranging the matter which is evidently his, Christ, and which is as easily distinguishable as his words as diamonds in a dunghill. Jefferson was calling Holy Scripture a dunghill. It's the height of arrogance. It's, it's the, the height of, of contempt and of, for God and for His Word. It's a rejecting of, of everything that he himself did not believe. He was placing his, his own Biased human reason above God and above God's Word. But how many, even in the visible church, have done the same thing? Church history is littered with examples of those who have turned away from God's Word to create their own novel inventions and interpretations. So things like Arianism, the, the denial of the deity of Christ that is perpetuated in the, in the so-called Jehovah's Witness cult, springs to mind. So does the, the false teaching of the Roman Catholic system of, of penance and indulgences as an attempt to earn favor with God. And in our day, the, the new apostolic reformation and the word faith movement that are promoted by Bethel Church in Redding, California, is now embraced All around the world, including in several prominent churches here in Kelowna. These are all damnable heresies promoted under the banner of Christianity. But amazingly, the gospel continues to advance. It really is an amazing providence of God against the onslaught of the majority of the teaching that takes place in the visible church that the truths of God's word remain and are adhered to by true followers of Jesus Christ. Those who are not followers like Thomas Jefferson. God has continued to preserve his word and his church Through all of this, through the the putrid swamp of heresy and rebellion against God and his word, there flows a clean, clear current of fresh, pure pure water from the truths of Scripture that creates, cleanses, and refreshes the church. Occasionally, the Holy Spirit brings revival and and that pure, fresh water turns into a torrent but for most of church history, it is a simple proclamation of God's Word that continues to flow and is making the way for the church to, to, not just to survive, but to thrive. That's the way it's been for most of church history. And we've seen the gospel advance in spite of, of opposition to God and His Word repeatedly in our study of Acts. In city after city, Paul went to synagogue after synagogue and taught the Jews and the God-fearers from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Some believed and became Christians, but others, even the the majority, rejected the teaching of scripture and their hearts were hardened. We saw this last week as as Christ was received and rejected in Thessalonica in Acts 17, 1-9. And in verse 3, Luke tells us that Paul went to the synagogue and reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Again, some were persuaded and became Christians, but the Jews were jealous. They formed a mob and they created a riot. Now, thankfully, they couldn't find Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, but they took, they took James, who had hosted them, along with other new brothers, and arrested them. They dragged them before the authorities, accusing them of turning the world upside down, of, of acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there was another king, Jesus. Again, these were half-truths, but they were, they were truths that were, that were meant to cause the authorities to turn against Paul and his fellow missionaries, and to arrest them, kill them, or at least get them thrown out of the city. So the Christians, sensing what was going to happen, sent Paul and Silas by night to Berea, some 80 kilometers southwest from Thessalonica. I believe that Timothy was there with them as well. But like Thessalonica, Berea was was a free city and Therefore, free from the rulings of another municipality. And so that the leaders in Thessalonica had no authority here in Berea. So, at least in this sense, the brothers were safe. So, now as we consider in verses 10 to 15 how Christ is received and rejected in Berea, we see again that the gospel continues to advance despite opposition. The church grows and the kingdom of God advances through the proclamation of God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. You could easily say here that the word of God continues to advance despite opposition. Through the proclamation of of God's word, the Lord has decreed that some will come to saving faith through Jesus Christ. However, in many, there's a, a hardening that comes in response to the proclamation of God's Word. Others will hear God's Word and will willfully reject Christ. And so for these individuals, the proclamation of God's Word will be used as evidence against them on the day of judgment. So God's Word accomplishes that for which it is sent, whether it is salvation or judgment. In our passage this morning, we see the Berean Jews that stand against the grain of rejection by the Jews. They're, they're in a a sense, the the exception that proves the rule. These Berean Jews are honored in God's word for their stand on God's word. When Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, they did what they usually did. They they went straight to the synagogue. Again, Luke says that these Jews, these Berean Jews were more noble because they received the word God of God eagerly and searched the scriptures for themselves daily to confirm what Paul had taught them. Get that they're presented in, in stark contrast to the other Jews, spe- specifically the Jews in Thessalonica, but, but we've seen again throughout, throughout most of the cities that this is what happened. In fact, it's really after Athens, in the rest of, of chapter 17, we're going to see in, in Corinth in chapter 18 that's going to come to a head and, and Paul's going to say, I'm done with you. I'm shaking the dust off my feet and I'm going to the Gentiles. Because they continued to reject. These, the Jews had continued to reject Jesus. Much like they had in Jerusalem. Now, there is a, a remnant that is preserved by grace, and, and, and according to my understanding of, of eschatology, at least there is a, a future that many in Israel will actually come to saving faith in Christ. Many many Jews, ethnic Jews, will come to saving faith in Christ in the future. But the pattern is, is of rejection of the Jews. And so, so these Bereans are set out to be, again, a contrast, to highlight just just how much rejection was taking place you're seeing how distinct and unique these Berean Jews were but I need to, I need to stop here for a moment and and make a correction I said last week following the notes of the ESV that the term Jews used in in chapter 17 verse 5 likely referred to the Jewish leadership now that's possible but upon further consideration and, and after looking at the comparison between the Thessalonican Jews, the sorry, Thessalonian Jews, and the Berean Jews, I'm now more of the opinion that Jews here does not refer specifically to Jewish leadership, but more broadly. And we see the same, the same rejection from Jews in Corinth in, in, in chapter 18. So I think this is, is meant to, to provide a, a contrast, a, a broader contrast than just the Jewish leadership. Again, the contrasting example between the Berean Jews highlights the rejection of the Jews in many other places. So Paul opened up the Scriptures for the Berean Jews. And remember, these are the Old Testament Scriptures. The New Testament had not been written down yet. We talked about this extensively last week. I read it earlier from, chat, from verses 2 to 4, that, that he showed them from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Right? That it was necessary. He explained and proved that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. He preached the gospel to them from the Old Testament. And we we went last week through several passages where very clearly you you can see Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is all through the Old Testament. Christ runs like a current throughout the, the Old Testament into the New Testament. So what Paul did, Paul took their own scriptures and showed them who Christ is. And these Berean Jews were noble, Luke tells us, because they received, examined, and believed the word of God. They received, examined, and believed the word of God. They received, received the word of God eagerly. They, they took the word of God and they welcomed it that there was an eager anticipation for these Berean Jews to hear the word of God. I wonder, do you have that kind of attitude? Do you get excited about the proclamation of the word of God? Do you come to church on on Sunday morning with with a a sense of expectation, of, of anticipation of hearing God's word? Do you do what you can to prepare for the proclamation of God's word. I would encourage you to do everything you can to prepare. I would encourage you to, to pray for the preacher throughout the week. To pray for your own heart. And for the hearts of, of your brothers and sisters, for the, the for the assembled church, that, that that God's word would work in all of us. Again, come anticipating, expecting God to do a work through his word. Because he promises again that he's going to work through his word and the power of his Holy Spirit. Pray, especially on on Saturday evening and and Sunday morning. Make make your best effort to get to bed at a decent time on on Saturday night so you can get a good night's sleep and and get up refreshed and, and ready to hear from God's word. Do what you can to prepare so that you can avoid distractions during the service. Again, do what you can out of a sense of expectation to hear from God's word and anticipation of what God will do. Notice here that Luke doesn't say that they received Paul eagerly. Okay, now Paul was was very likely welcomed there as he was in the house of Jason in Thessalonica. But it's the word of God that they welcomed. It's the word of God they welcomed. In our circles, we have a, quite often have a a kind of a a celebrity pastor mentality. And so we go to conferences and whatnot. Oh, I want to hear so-and-so. Wow, I got to sit under the ministry of of so-and-so. We're prone to receiving the man, but rather we should be receiving the word the man brings. And so we want to hear him preach, not because of who he is, but because of who he represents. Because this this man will faithfully proclaim God's word. Now, I am no celebrity pastor. But may God preserve this pulpit. May God preserve me and, and all who would preach from this pulpit that we would faithfully proclaim God's word. And pray for us. Pray for, for this church to that end. So they received the word of God eagerly, eagerly. Then they examined the word of God. They went daily to the scriptures to see if, if what Paul was teaching was true. They, they took their Old Testament scroll and they, they poured over it. Now very few homes would have owned their, their own scroll because they were so expensive. So they probably sat down in smaller groups to, to search out the, these, these Old Testament scrolls scriptures, and to see how it lined up with with what Paul was, was preaching. Now, we all have Bibles in our homes. And so we, all of us, have the, the ability and the opportunity to, to pour over the scriptures for ourselves, to search out the scriptures ourselves, to see if what you're hearing from this pulpit is truth. I commend those who come as unbelievers and I meet with unbelievers who come here and they ask me really good questions. That's excellent. And we'll go and we'll talk about the Word of God and I'll take them always back to the Word of God. Not my ideas I trust, but God and His Word. But believers have the same responsibility. We're all called to do the same thing. The Scriptures speak of the priesthood of believers. Right? In, the, in the New Covenant, the old priesthood is, is obsolete. Jesus Christ is our high, our high priest, and, and all believers are now priests unto God, men and women. And so we all have the, the ability and the privilege to the, the power of the Spirit to be able to, to study God's Word for ourselves. Now, I do sequential exposition. You know the passage that I'm going to be preaching every Sunday. And so sit down and, and read the passage before Sunday. Read it alone and and read it with your family. Study the passage. Look at cross-references. Read good commentaries. Now you can find ones like, like Matthew Henry's commentary for free online. It is an excellent resource, a timeless resource. You could talk about the passage with friends after the service. Again, examine the scriptures to make sure these things are so. You can come and ask me to, to clarify something I've said or, or to correct something that, that I've said that's wrong. And on Sunday morning, bring your Bible to church and open the Bible. Sit with it on your lap. And I, I know it's, it's challenging for parents with, with young children, but keep the Bible open on your lap and, and follow along with the scriptures. It'll help you to, to track where I'm going. It'll help to keep you from, from getting confused or, or getting lost. I know that it can be a little confusing at times, but I'm just walking through the passage. And so, by bringing the Bible, you can actually follow along with yourse- for yourself and, and cross reference. When I mention another verse, go and look it up. Say, you you're just making that up. No, read it for yourself. And I would encourage you as well, and there's, there's not a law on this, but, but just, it's a, a, I think a wisdom thing to, to actually use a hardcover Bible as much as, or a softcover leather copy, but I mean an actual hard copy of the Bible. Because then you get to know where things are on the page, and, and you, you get to know your Bible personally, and, and when you can figure out where things are, you can see and picture the context of, of what is being said in, in the light of the canon of the whole world, not just a few verses on a screen. A carpenter would never show up on a work site without a hammer. It's a vitally important tool. Bring your Bible again will help you to follow along, to track where, where we're going. Derek Thomas says, I, I love the sound. It's, it's a holy sound, the sound of rustling leaves of Scripture during a sermon. He says it's a beautiful sound when I hear someone turning over a few pages of scripture because they're they're tracing something, checking to see whether this is so or not. So they received the word of God, they examined the word of God, and they believed the word of God. They believe the word of God. It's not enough to do the first two without doing the last one. If you do not do the last one, if you do not believe, it's all in vain. Many of the brilliant Jews and a number of Greek women of high standing, standing and many men became, became Christians. And many who had re- so many who had received the scriptures and examined the scriptures believed the scriptures. They put their faith in the scriptures or, or rather they put their faith in the person who the scriptures are all about. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. Belief is not just, just setting up a, a set of, of doctrines or truths. Belief, is a, in, in this sense, refers to the knowledge, to knowledge, to agreement, and faith. In the Reformation, these, these terms were known by the, their, their Latin words, notitia, assensus, fiducia. Notitia, assensus, fiducia. Notitia refers to the, the content of faith. It's, it's the what and especially the who we believe in the Scriptures. The, but the Lord Jesus Christ... His person and His work as taught in Scripture. His his perfect life, His substitutionary death, His resurrection on the third day, His ascension after 40 days to the Father's right hand where He is now dwelling bodily until His return at the end of time on the Day of Judgment. It's not just notitia, it's it's a census. It's the assent or it's the agreement with these truths. It's the personal conviction of the truth about Jesus Christ according to God's word. And it's also fiducia. Again, fiducia refers to faith. It's our trust and our reliance on Jesus Christ. Even demons believe who Jesus is and believe what he did, but they certainly do not put their trust in him. Saving faith means personally relying on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Trusting that he died the death you deserved to die. And he had lived a life you had never lived. And that, that when he was on the cross, he became your substitute as the Father poured out his wrath on Christ instead of on you. And he went into the grave for three days. And the third day he, was, he rose victorious over sin and death And hell. It was raised for our justification. That's fiducia, trusting in these things for your salvation. Now, this church is grounded on the Word of God. I, I think all churches claim to be grounded on the Word of God. But we must be very careful when we consider what that means. Thomas Jefferson claimed to be grounded on the word of god but being truly grounded on the word of god means holding to the the inspiration the inerrancy the authority the sufficiency and the clarity of god's word let me just very briefly define each of them the inspiration of god's word means i referred to it earlier in my prayer means that that the holy spirit inspired godly men that he carried godly men along so that they wrote down everything that god wanted them to write down that's the inspiration it's inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is inerrant. There are no mistakes in the Bible. Here specifically of the original manuscripts, there are different English Bibles, and there's different Bibles in many different languages, and and they they are not perfect, but but there is no major doctrine that is up for dispute. The Bible is inerrant in its original manuscripts. The Bible is authoritative. It is the authority and the only authority in matters of life and godliness. We don't refer to the, the culture. We don't refer to our own biases. We refer to God's word to know who God is and how he wants us to live. The Bible is sufficient. We don't need to go to outside authorities we don't need to, to listen to, to studies and psychologists and, and all the other ists that try to tell us what we should do and what we shouldn't do, what's true and what's not true. The Bible is sufficient for these things. We don't need to go beyond the word of God for these matters of life and godliness. The last one is, is known as perspicuity. Perspicuity, which essentially, well, it essentially means car- it means clarity, but I think it's ironic that use an obscure word to describe clarity. But I think just the, the sixteen eighty nine London Baptist Confession, I think, defines this well. He says it says that all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other, that the, not only the learned, but the unlearned and due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them the scriptures were clear enough that these Bereans, they did not have, they did not have the the theological training that Paul had. But they were able to, to open up the scriptures and confirm that what Paul was saying about the scriptures was true. They were able to believe and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I am not the Apostle Paul. But you have The same responsibility, no matter matter who is preaching the word, no matter who is standing in this pulpit, you have the responsibility to examine all of these things, to see whether they are true, and then to believe in the things that are true. Listen to what is said. Examine the message according to the scriptures. Again, if what is said agrees with God's word, believe it. Know it. Ascent to it. Place your faith in it. Know Christ. Assent to Christ. Place your faith in Christ. But if what I say or if what someone else says from this pulpit does not line up with God's word, reject it. If that person, if I reject correction, if I persist in teaching something that does not line up with God's word, then you have the responsibility to reject me. There are many churches in the city who will be held accountable for the continuation to sit under false teaching. Paul is about to be rejected again, but not because he didn't preach the word faithfully. He's rejected because he did preach the word faithfully. Verse 13. When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there also agitating and stirring up the crowds. Remember what happened in Lystra in chapter 14 the Jews from Antioch and Iconium had tracked Paul down and incited the crowds in Lystra so that even these Gentiles stoned Paul in an attempt to kill him. And this time it was the Thessalonian Jews. They traveled 80 kilometers in an attempt to silence Paul in Berea. The same group, would accused Paul of, of turning the world upside down, truly turned things upside down by creating yet another riot, just as they had done in Thessala- Thessalonica. As we talked about last week, Paul was, was not turning the world upside down. Paul was turning the world the right side up. But it's these men who are turning the world upside down. These men liked the world upside down, and they decided to stomp on it for good measure. They were happy with things just the way they are. Very, Thank you very much. They hated Christ and they loved their sin, so they incited hatred in the crowds as well. So what does Paul do? He leaves. The, the brothers, recognizing the danger that Paul was in, immediately sent him off by the way of the sea. They sent him down to, to, down to the coast and put him in a boat bound for Athens. And by God's grace, Paul was no coward. He wasn't trying to avoid Paul at all costs. Remember, at Lystra, after being stoned, what did he do? He went back into the city. And he went back there again to encourage the church. He was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14:22. "There is a time to stand and there is a time to flee." And if that time comes for us, may God give us the wisdom and the grace to know what to do. In the words of Kenny Rogers, you've got to know when to hold him, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. And so this time, Paul ran. But Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Although Luke did mention Timothy again earlier uh, as going to Berea, was, he was there as well. As we see here from verse 14. Silas and Timothy now continued the work that Paul had begun. Now, Paul was soon going to send send for Silas and Timothy to join him in Athens. But now that the Word of God continues, despite the efforts of the Thessalonian Jews, God's Word continued to advance, a new church was established. But as we begin to reflect on this passage and and really try to to take it home to, to our own hearts, I need to ask you the question, are you like the Thessalonians standing against the word of God? Are you like Thomas Jefferson taking a razor to the scriptures? Have you effectively done the same thing as Thomas Jefferson? Have you created your own version of the Bible where you pick and choose what you want to believe, pick and choose what you want to follow, what you want to obey, and gloss over or reject outright principles and precepts that you disagree with? Now, I recognize that we all fall short of the word of God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a willful rejection. I'm saying, I don't like it, and I'm not going to do it. I don't believe it, so it's not true. That's what I'm talking about. I remember so clearly when I was a brand new Christian, I've, I've told this, this story before, but bear with me. I was not even a, a year old in the Lord. And I remember for the first time I was reading Luke 6.29 that if, if someone takes your, your cloak, give them your tunic as well. And I was indignant. That was so contrary to, to the way I'd been living my life. I went to a friend who had been a, a Christian longer than me and, and, I, and I said, that's not how it works. And if somebody takes something that belongs to you, you go and knock them over, take it back, and take something else of theirs to make it even. that's how I live my life. But my friend wisely said to me, John, that's not how it works. He said, John, if you find something in the scriptures that you disagree with, it's not the scriptures that need to change, it's your thinking that needs to change. And that was such a valuable lesson that I learned at that that moment in in the early days of Christianity, by God's grace, I've never forgotten. it. But then fast forward 15 years, I got a call from the wife of that same friend. And she reached out to me in, in, in tears, in hopes that I would speak to my friend. She said that he, that he, he had left her, and she just didn't know what to do, and, and she hoped that I would, I would reach out to him and, and, and that he, would, that, that he would, would listen to me and, and would seek to, to restore his marriage. And I listened to, to the, the reasons for, for him leaving his wife, and I said, "Was well, do you have scriptural warrant? What does the Bible say about these things? He tried to explain it away. And I said to him, I, hum, I humbly have to give you the same words that you told me all those years ago. And he rejected it and he continued on that, that trajectory he's he's we've we've had a little bit of correspondence over the years and he's he's now remarried with children but he's now followed, if, if you track forward it's now about 15 years after after that he's he's now followed that same trajectory of of rejection of the word of god he now says that it's that same sex marriage is totally acceptable to god now, he doesn't say outright that he denies God's word, but he says that such things in the scriptures are, are, were, are culturally based and, and are, were only written to, to what was happening in that particular culture at that particular time. But he's doing exactly the same thing as Thomas Jefferson. That he's completely subjectivizing the word of God. He, he's, for him, culture is the razor that slices up scripture. And using that approach to the Word of God, there's there's really no basis for any moral imperative. There is no command of Scripture that cannot be explained away by by operating under that hermeneutic. There's nothing that can be said to be required by God, at least in any meaningful way. But how many have broken away from the once-for-all message delivered to the saints and have rejected the clear teaching of the church throughout history to develop their own novel interpretations. They're thinking, ah, you, you guys in the early church from 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 500 years ago, 50 years ago, You guys got it all wrong. We're enlightened. We are the real Christians. We are the true disciples. We are the ones who are teaching the word of God. We are the true followers of Jesus Christ. We want to free up the word of God from the corruptions that were made by the other followers of Jesus. Just like Thomas Jefferson. This kind of thinking is rampant in the visible church today. I think it really began to gain traction in the the 20th century with with postmodern thinking that that characterizes our individualistic culture. You can have 20 people sitting in a Bible study and they can each have 20, 20 different opinions and each of them is considered to be equally valid. The concept of God's objective and eternal truth has gone out the window. Again, it's true in the, the vast majority of the churches in the city. They deny the word of God. And if, if they don't do it doctrinally, they don't do it confessionally, they deny the word of God practically. They do not submit themselves to the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, and clear word of God. They're not following what the church has historically believed. They're following their own sinful thinking. They are following the culture. 40 years ago, Francis Schaeffer said that the, the, the visible church is just seven years behind the world. That they're, they're taking the cues from the world instead of from the word. And I will say that those same churches that are doing things like having women in the pulpit against the clear teaching of God's word with the same churches that in the not-too-distant future will be embracing and accepting homosexuality as well. I hope I'm wrong about that, but I don't think I am. I'm seeing it starting to come to fruition already. Again, this kind of thinking isn't new. It goes back almost all the way to the beginning of the church. May God help us to not be like those Thessalonian Jews. May God help us to be like the the noble Berean Jews. May we all receive and examine and believe the word of God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for your inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, and clear word. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to guide us into the truths of your Word. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to point us to the truths about Jesus Christ in your Word. We thank you that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you have regenerated our hearts. You've caused us to be born again and to reject what we once hated, to reject what we once loved and to now embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. You have set us free from canceled sin. You've given us new hearts and new desires. Lord, help us, all of us, to be like these Bereans. Help us, Lord, to respond with faith to your Holy Word. Lord, help us to walk in confidence that your Word will continue to advance even as it advanced against the opposition of our own hearts through the power of Your Spirit, that You will continue to grow us and sanctify us and conform us according to Your Word. Again, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, make us more like Christ as we see Him in the Word. We pray this in Your holy name. Amen.